In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There was a rich man, dressed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. A timeless economic tale and an eternal religious concern. And of course, the rich man is wicked, as rich men are. And the poor man is righteous, of course. And the rich man, who is having a deliriously good time now, will be punished and will regret. And the poor man, who is enduring a wretched life presently, will be rewarded and recompensed in the next life and will rejoice when the roles will be reversed. Now that very well may be, who am I to say? And the Gospel does proclaim that there are many who are first, who will be last, and many who are last, who will be first, many. However, the gospel does not proclaim, on my reading of it, that all of the rich are going to hell and all of the poor are going to heaven, just like that and on those very grounds. Our Lord was never that simplistic. He was not simple-minded. He had the finest mind in all creation. At 12 years old, he astounded the most brilliantly educated men in the land. And he did tell the very rich and generous Zacchaeus, today's salvation has come to you and to your household. There are only a very few stray comments here and there in the Gospels, but they make clear that it was women of means who provided for the disciples and our Lord and made their ministry possible. Well-bred, well-to-do women who had been left with a comfortable income by fathers or late husbands who had the means to support this wandering, indigent band of salvation by their open-hearted, gracious generosity. A few are named Salome. Some are indicated, but not fully named, the wife of Cleopas. But most, as they themselves doubtless would have preferred, remain to this day anonymous. Well-off women, well-loved and treasured by our Lord. No, this parable of Lazarus and the rich man must not be interpreted simplistically. Rich, bad. Poor, good. It has engendered and endured that sort of distortion quite probably because it suits our own purposes to customize it so. The promise of an afterlife, of general redress and a satisfying role reversal can be the source of the hope that creation is moving toward perfection, and that creation flawed and twisted and deformed by human sinfulness will be gloriously restored. 
On the other hand, this vision of a new and reversed order can also be an excuse by us for continued insufferable nonchalance by those who might want to keep up the inequity or could care less. The problem, of course, is that God presides over this present life of ours as well as the world to come. All things in heaven and on earth are his. The Lord's Prayer that we consistently and faithfully pray prays that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is no theological justification for continued misery on earth. It is not God's will. So its persistence and continuation must proceed out of our will, which evidently seems out of sync with God's. No hope, no promise, however true, however glorious, of an ultimate divine redressing of present grievances can ever excuse us, who wear the purple and fine linen, from doing not just something, but our utmost to ease the suffering of God's beloved creation. The Episcopal Church's strength and glory in an earlier day and a finer hour was found in two things principally and was acknowledged as such by all who beheld it. A beautiful, dignified Sunday worship service and an astoundingly effective commitment to social justice. The beauty of worship we still have, here at least in this place, thanks to Father Mark and Dr. Eric and Deacon Veronica and the choir and the servers and the readers and the volunteers in all of our services. So we can all relax about that. That is safe and secure, well-grounded and will be well-maintained and preserved. All we need to do is lend our voices and lift up our hearts and thank them from time to time and help all together to provide for their ongoing ministry here among us. But the other, the twin characteristic of the Episcopal Church classically and historically, its surpassing and exemplary concern with social justice, that is our ongoing call and responsibility, each and every one of us, all together in oh so many ways. The Episcopal Church for more than the last century was widely known and admired for its very evident compassion for those less fortunate than ourselves. And that was the phrase we invariably used in years gone by, with admitted condescension, I suppose, but in a gentle and unaware and benign way, the less fortunate. But underneath that awkward phrase was, I believe, a radiant, gracious, caring humility and respect the less fortunate. Yes, we said it, but I also think we believed it in a kind and considerate and honorable way that those who had fewer material resources were not lazier or stupider than we are. They were just less fortunate. A quiet, subtle, but very important distinction, I think, 
and a wonderful assumption on our part that our resources, financial or intellectual or social or cultural, whatever gifts we have or possess, are not because we are good and wonderful and more loved by God. We have this advantage, these gifts, only because we happen to be more fortunate. Sadly, today, our beloved Episcopal Church as a whole seems to be so self-absorbed, no longer leading us to be generous and philanthropic in the way we used to be. Our own bishop, in his most recent epistle, issuing out of his experience with this week's meeting of the House of Bishops, says he sees hope now, at last, of a renewed and revived commitment and grace among his colleagues, and he rejoices, as we all should. But people like you need to lead the way, not those we used to regard as our leaders. Two of your great strengths here are your compassion and, frankly, your sophistication. You are a savvy group of Christians, unlikely to shrink from the exigencies of ministry before you, but also unlikely to be blindsided by a foolish, naive, sentimental romanticism about social ministry among the poor. It takes a fairly worldly Episcopalian to avoid being taken in by the world, tricked by clever manipulation and sloppy, sentimental, ineffective programs that really only hurt and discourage the oppressed rather than helping them in a meaningful and dignified way. Episcopalians are far more likely to give Lazarus effective assistance and encouragement rather than simply tossing over the scraps that fall from the table or providing a few meager stamps so they can go buy them themselves. We are so obviously still a people unafraid and eager for involvement with the pain and the hurt and the sorrow and the horror of the world and unabashed by its demands and its disappointments. Good and healthy and caring and compassionate groups of people like you can help pull our whole church out of its slump and its confusion and remind our church of its historic commitment and the difference our church once made in the nation and the world, that better, kinder, more just way we once followed and defended and championed. Places like this, this Trinity Cathedral, with its Trinity Outreach Ministry and Millennial Development Goals Ministry and efforts raising up houses and schools for children in Tanzania, provisions for Lazarus's a world away and for Lazarus's at our gate, food and lunches and water for people in parks just blocks away, tending and promoting to the better health of all of us through monitoring among our congregation and alerting us before the sores break out and cover our bodies. Even now, a ministry is beginning that will seek to help those Lazaruses at the gate who are disoriented and confused and need care and understanding and effective treatment. And all of your other enduring commitments and those so discreet and so quietly fulfilled behind the scenes that I've not even heard of them and may never. And also for those of you who find that now the lifting and the carrying and the running calls for a stamina that is really more 
a part of our personal past history than our present reality, well, we can lend our prayers and our voices of encouragement and our ready ears to listen sympathetically and helpfully and restoratively to the occasional discouragement of those around us who are still able to run about and not get winded. The stunning provisions you make and fund and pray for and support for local, national, and international needs individually and in groups and as a church, I am convinced, make God and Lazarus beam with delight. But this exemplary commitment to social action is the twin, not the replacer or the preference of worship. And often worship leads us on to a greater social action. You might read over that gorgeous hymn we just sang before the gospel, a wonderful call and commitment to social action coming out of worship. Those who have the call by God to a life of more worship and less social action have also chosen an excellent role, as that gorgeous vignette with Mary and Martha once proved for all time. And the psalmist is delighted to say, One thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing I seek, to behold the fair beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For the psalmist, that was the perfect life. Perhaps it is for you as well, to seek God in this place, to behold him here, and to support those who are doing ministry as part of all of our ministries together. That may be it. That may be all of it for you. Each of us is called to our own particular response, one of us to one way and another to another. I mean, that really does make sense when you say it out loud, doesn't it? Some of you may support all of this by your generosity, by the provision you are able and willing to make to help fund all of this activity and this ministry to Lazarus. The quiet and faithful contributing year after year after year and now again this year that enables it all Perhaps a name here or a name there will be remembered a century from now. Someone named Salome or Helen or a bit of your history might be remembered. She was the wife of a man named Cleopas, the wife of a man named Arthur, I believe. Or your name will not be remembered at all, but what you did will be remembered and treasured for all time, like those unknown gospel women who enabled Jesus and his disciples to live and flourish and teach and redeem. And those who provide for our common life and beauty here together, enhancing it with food and flowers, with greetings and fellowship, and those who keep track of everything on behalf of those of us who are too easily distracted. One may be called to a life of action and commitment and less to a life of intentional reflection and repose, but each is precious and each of you is an irreplaceable part of this, our bundle of faith and life here in this place. None of us is called to do it all. That's the glory and the safety of living out our lives of faith in an abundant Episcopal community like this one. None of us needs to do it all, but together we will accomplish everything. We need to let the Episcopal Church see that there are still faithful Episcopalians in abundance. We cannot wait for the bishops, who are not as committed as our own Bishop Smith is, We cannot long for leadership in the national church that will simply never there again in the same way as it was in the past. 
It is up to you, parishioners like you in all places, to set about the gospel work and leave the distempered and timid house of bishops to the side, giving them all the more time to arrange further meetings and vague exploratory sessions. We'll do the work of the Church and sit down beside Lazarus ourselves and ask him what we can do and then do it. And this faithfulness of ours need have little to do with the purple and fine linen set and all their foolishness and silly, endless re-envisionings. It needs instead to be about what matters, a church, a people, who look at Lazarus, see him, and do care. You know, whatever other leadership we're lacking at the moment, we do still have Moses and the prophets. And yes, we do even have one who was raised from the dead. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.